would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We are looking at verses 12 through 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I have a word of prayer, and then we will uh, read these three verses. Father, we praise you for this season when your people who are called by your name speak with confidence and boldness. And yet, Father, it's a troubling time. Help us to hear the words of our dear brother, Paul, that we can understand the urgency of the day, that, Father, we can understand the nearness of our salvation, the conclusion of the age. And, Father, may we, as the Apostle Paul, this text, do it with a clear conscience, a sure conscience. Father, to your glory and to your praise. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and souls sensitive to what you would have us do, your glory and your praise. Amen. Verse 12, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud, as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. We are looking at something that God has given mankind that I call here the soul's warning system. Uh, It is in all men and women. It is a gift from God, whether they are saved or whether they are lost. And it is our conscience. And Paul is dealing here in this text um, with his conscience. Uh, It's it's a fascinating study, and I've spent probably too much time in my own study, but it's it's, it's something that is, is intriguing. The Greeks identified the conscience as a goddess. Do you know what her name is? Nemesis. Need I say more? (laughs) Um, They believed that Nemesis, the goddess, uh, was a reverence for moral law. That's fascinating to me because if you study the Greeks at all, you try to figure out moral law. <laughs> well, there you have it. <laughs> uh, so, um, but Nemesis had messengers. You would call these messengers angels. And they were of vengeance. Uh, and they would overtake people. And this is a quote. Um, Full of retribution for all reckless transgressions, unquote. Okay. Actually, if you look at a Greek study on conscience and nemesis, 
you will find uh, they have a pretty good idea of what conscience is and what conscience does. Uh, there was a, a picture that I seen, a portrait that I had seen uh, when I was in Russia at an art museum. Don't ask. But um, they uh, had a picture of this man with a terror on his face. I mean, horrible, like can't be described, running with sweat and, 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 and just in this full tilt run. And behind him was Nemesis with this massive sword ready to take vengeance upon this terrified man. It was called the portrait of fear, man's conscience. Hmm. Because in this is a reverence for this moral law. And reverence for this moral law can be a tormentor. Conscience, somebody said, is either your best friend or your worst enemy. And yet when I think about the conscience, I think that it is a marvelous gift from God. It is an internal warning system. In the book of Romans... We looked at this a week or so ago, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are the law unto themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternatingly accusing or else defending them. Okay? See, your conscience either excuses you or accuses you. Your conscience is your own self-commentary on the state of your righteousness or the state of your sin. This is very important to Paul. It's a very big issue for the Apostle Paul. And conscience is the highest human court of appeal. Because in your conscience, you know. See, no no court on earth is higher than the court of your conscience. See, you can be found innocent in a court of law and yet be indicted by your conscience. Or you can be found guilty in a court of law. And yet your conscience says you are innocent. See, the conscience knows the truth. Period. In the conscience, if you use the illustration that I have in the last couple of weeks, it's a courtroom. Your conscience is your judge. Your conscience is your accuser. Your conscience is your defender. And your conscience is your witness. Kind of hard to hide. (laughs) Okay. And you know what? Your conscience doesn't need DNA testing. And Paul speaks much of the conscience. It's a lot in this letter. And this letter reflects... What is going on in his conscience? This is not a theological letter. This is a heart letter. 
See, his integrity, his character were under assault. And he will sit back and say, but in my conscience, I am innocent. I am innocent. See, Paul is fascinating here. He appeals to the highest human court. His conscience. His conscience. Listen, this I want to make a, a little footnote here. This is not the divine court. Right? It is not God's divine verdict that will wait. All right? Every man will hear God's divine verdict. But in the meantime, here on earth, the conscience is our highest court. And remember, Paul was under attack. Paul was always under attack. I shared with you this because this book deals with ministry. And if you are doing God's work, God's way, guess what? You will be under attack. You will be accused. You will be indicted. And the key here is, what does your conscience say? Listen, I want to be specific about this. I don't, I love you guys, and I don't care what your conscience says about me. (laughs) I care only what does my conscience say. Because that is the ultimate high court in my soul. All right? And you should be blessed because you should not care what my conscience says to you. But what does your conscience say? Because that is the ultimate high court. If you look at that outline in your bulletin, you will see that there are three categories of assault. Everything that will happen to a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ will fall into these three categories. One is your moral wrongdoing, second, your relationship wrongdoing, and third, your theology. All right? Um, Basically, it's personal, it's your dealings with other people, and it is your dealing with God. And they will attack those who are serving in the body of Christ. Those will be the attack. They will attack your life or they will, as they attack Paul's life, they will attack your relationship with others as they attack the Apostle Paul. Or they will attack your relationship, your spiritual side, your theology. Okay, so it's basically three fronts. And that was what the Apostle Paul was dealing with in Corinth. He had founded a church. He had been there for 18 months in this church. And he had moved on to where God had led him. And what happens when you lay a foundation of good, solid, biblical teaching? If you step away from it, there will be an assault on that teaching. On that person. On his relationship with others. And the tragedy is, here in this church in Corinth, there were many who were buying into this. Even though there's no grounds. There's no grounds. One of the things that I learned the the difficult way is that you never accept an accusation against an elder unless there is what? Two or more witnesses. And it's not hearsay. It's eyewitnesses. Well, what if? No. No. You don't accept it unless there are two witnesses. Why? That makes it a little difficult, doesn't it? But if you've ever been around the church very long, you will note that you can have a little group over here and they will try to draw people into that group so that they can bring an accusation against a man or a woman who is serving the Lord. What's amazing is is that I've seen 
places and congregations, even as the Apostle Paul, where they have seen and they have experienced the power of God's truth, and yet they will attack the messenger. They did Paul. And yet there's no evidence. And yet you get people who are willing to buy into it. And you know, you hate to think that people do that. You hate to think that the body of Christ would do that. They did it then and still do it today. Weak-willed people who can get tossed to and fro. See, they'll start with a rumor about anybody. And you will always find someone willing to follow that rumor. And they will join in the revolt. See, Paul had written them a letter in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians called the severe letter. And he had confronted this. Um, and it's possible that he actually made a quick visit to Corinth. All right. And there had been a positive response. And, and, and Paul understood it and that there were some moving back to a good foundation. Paul was comforted by this. We'll look at it in depth in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. But he also knows this, Paul does, that the enemy is unrelenting. You can bring the people back to where they're supposed to be and then say, here, there it is, and you step away again, and what will happen? The enemy will attack. You have an adversary, accuser of the brethren. And Paul writes this letter to deal with it, but yet again. Let's put it to rest. So Paul appeals to him. In chapter 4 of this letter, um, verses 1 and 2, you can basically... Verse 2 is the summary of what I've laid out here in your outline. Therefore, since we have this ministry... See the key? Listen, if you're saved today, you have a ministry. Now, whether you're exercising it or not may not be seen. But you do have a ministry. You were saved for a purpose. And, and basically what will happen, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. If you have been serving the body of Christ, guess what? There will be stretches of time where you lose heart. Or you will fight not to lose heart. Why? Because look at verse 2. We have renounced the hidden, hidden things. You know what that is, right? That's personal sin. I have fleed it. We've renounced these things because of shame. All right. They will bring shame to your ministry. But then look what he says. Not walking in craftiness. That's your relationship with other people. I am not trying to persuade you. I am not trying to manipulate you. I am not trying to pity you. I am not trying to move you. I'm not doing it sneaky. I'm not in it for the money, for the self-acclaim. I'm doing it because Christ has given me a ministry. Then what does he say? Not ad- or adulterating the word of God. 
but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. Okay, that's the third thing. It's theological. I'm not adulterating the word. I'm just cutting her straight. Rightly dividing truth. So he covers it there. Paul's life, um, he's trying to get at here, and we'll look at it now, kind of focus on verse 12 of chapter 1, is his life was not dominated by personal vice, personal sin. I'm not saying that Paul didn't sin. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. Paul never said that. But it was not dominant in his life. You know, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, it's funny because I I watch a lot of people who uh, have their own definition of what is spiritual maturity. Um, It is basically someone who's sensitive to sin, their sin. I know a lot of people who are sensitive to everybody else's sin. But they never pay attention to their sin. And when it is manifested, their immediate response is what? Flee it. Get away from it. Move away. Don't let it dominate me. All right? Paul didn't do this for self-interest, for self-aggrandizement. He didn't do this for deception. He didn't do this by corrupting the word of the Lord. He did it because he was called. And listen, if you know him, you know that he had committed himself to every man's conscience. Conscience. See, Paul understood it. That's the high court. That is it. No matter what the accusers accuse. Listen, you had false accusers at Jesus' trial. Was he guilty? No. No. He wasn't guilty. Listen, do you think if they're going to falsely accuse Jesus, you are going to be immune to false accusations? See, Paul had a fully informed conscience. Paul was fully sensitive to his conscience. You know, he could have gone and got him some references. I mean, I can get you some references out of the church in Corinth. Let them tell you who I am. How about Titus or Timothy? How about Silas? I can get Barnabas. I even had an encounter with John Mark. I can get John Mark. He can send you a letter of reference. But you know what? He bypasses all of his friends, all of his converts, and goes straight to the highest court known to man. His conscience. His conscience. Listen, if you think about it, you'll hear this a lot. Well, we need accountability. Is there any greater accountability than your own conscience? Is there? Listen, my conscience knows things that my wife doesn't even know. You can't get away from your conscience. You can't shut your conscience off. And these are some of the things, you know, my wife has this 
funny thing. She believes that I have to live to everything I preach. I, I, can't, I don't know what she's thinking. But the truth of the matter is, my conscience is a lot worse on me than she could ever be. See, there are things that others cannot know and never will know. And my conscience knows and your conscience knows the details of it. There are indictments that a conscience can make that no other can make. And that's where Paul goes for his defense. That's why it's the highest human court. See... Our walks here on this planet for the time that God has graced us with is learning to live sensitive to and responding to our conscience. That is the heart of spirituality. That is the heart of spiritual maturity. And I've already shared with you, the writer of Hebrew tells us that at the moment of our salvation, our conscience is a clean slate. And it is our responsibility to keep it that way. Paul, last week we looked at this. He said, with our proud confidence, there's a boasting here. But this boasting in the original language is spoken of to speak of what God has done. So who gets the accolades? God does. And he says, and then it is the testimony of our conscience. Why? It is the witness of our conscience. That's what he's getting at here. He says, you call me a sinner. You call me a deceiver. You call me a false prophet. But my conscience gives the opposite testimony, gives the opposite witness. This is important to Paul. You see it in Acts 23, 1 and in Acts 24, 14. Why? As he was standing before his accusers, he said, my conscience is clear before men and God. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that if you choose a deacon, you want to make a deacon, he needs to have a clear conscience in regard to the faith. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3 that if you are going to serve the Lord, you must do it with a clear conscience. I'm seeing a pattern. See, that's in touch with your own heart. You know, you hear some of these horrific um, stories of murder and rape and kidnapping and all the rest of it. And, and then the, the perpetrator will kill himself and everybody wants to know what was the motive? What caused them to do this? We always want to know that. Why? What man's conscience could do this? That's what we're looking for. You know what? The conscience always knows the motive. Always knows the reason. Conscience in the Greek, this Greek text that you see right here, the testimony of our conscience. It literally means to know with oneself. That's the Greek phrase. To know with oneself. And it's kind of cool because if you look at the English, the word science is to know, con is with, to have knowledge with. 
philosopher said, To know thyself, to thy own self be true. I'm not as philosophical as that. I just say this. Listen to your conscience. (laughs) If your conscience says this is a bad place, I'm betting you it's a bad place. Paul understood that his conscience was not like Nemesis. His conscience was not chasing him. The only court that the Apostle Paul was concerned with was his own conscience. See, men can lie. Men can falsely accuse. And they can do it all they want. And if you've ever been on this end of it, of the accusations, it is one of the most frustrating places on the planet Earth. Especially if your conscience is not accusing you. Paul says, my conscience is opposite of my accusers. In later in this letter, in chapter 6, verse 3, giving no cause of offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. That's a pretty strong statement. Giving no cause of offense in anything? In anything? Huh. Verse 8. By glory and dishonor, by evil report or good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true. See, there it is. There's the accusations. He lays it right out there. And yet he says, you know what? No. Why? He's contrasting it with what his accusers are saying. Verse 6 says, In purity and in knowledge and in patience and in kindness and in the Holy Spirit and in genuine love. He says, they're accusing me of this, but this is how I'm operating. They're accusing me of this, but my conscience says no. The purity of his life. He says he is conducting himself, and and back to our text, he is conducting himself in holiness and godly serenity. Holiness. Holiness. Do you know that? What is that? Sanctified. It's set apart. My conscience is in holiness. My conscience is set apart. Literally, the, the original Greek term is sanctity. Is sanctity. Some of your uh, texts will next will say simplicity. Um, I would argue that that is a really bad translation. Okay, and yet I understand why they translate it that way because it has the idea of moral purity. That's the context, but yet it gives it a contrast. Okay, in light of immorality and in corruption, I am only doing this in sincerity. Godly sincerity. Godly sincerity. The Latin term here that you get the King James translation for um, simplicity. It means without wax. Seems odd. (laughs) It's without wax. 
And what it means is to be tested by the sun. Someone was tested by the sun. They've been held up to the light for inspection. It was used in the ancient culture all the time to, to use if you're buying fabric. You would take it from inside of the store and you would take it outside and you would do what? Hold it up to the light. Does the color change? Is the weave tight? Is it loosely woven? They would use it with pottery. If you would go into a shop and you would buy a pot, you would take it out and you would hold it up to the sun. And if wax would run off of that pottery, that means it had cracks in it. And they would seal the cracks with wax. So they were selling you a piece of junk. But if you held it up to the sun and no wax run off of it, then you knew that it would hold water. That's the term that the Apostle Paul uses here. What he's saying about his life is that there are no flaws being covered. To use my vernacular, what you see is what you get. Alright, there's nothing deceptive here. There's nothing hidden here. There's a kind of sincerity here that is devoted to God. There is a sincerity here that is from God. There is a sincerity here that is God-given. There is a sincerity here that is God-related. There is a sincerity here that is God-oriented. Okay, why? This is holiness. It's sanctity. And it is godly sincerity. Look what else he says here. It is not in fleshly wisdom. It it is by grace. By God's grace. What I have and what you see. And the confidence of my, my conscience is from God. It is not by man's wisdom. It is not by cleverness. It is not by achievement. This is holiness. This is godly sincerity. That my conscience gives witness. It's not something that I've done. It's not something that I've thought of. It is not by my wisdom. It's not by my works. It is not by my spiritual duty. My conscience is before God. And it stands the test. It's not produced by human nature. It is not produced by human wisdom. It is not even produced by human desire. Remember 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2? God's, or Paul's pretty explicit there what he thinks about man's wisdom and foolishness. <laughs> just foolishness. You know, when Paul thinks about man's wisdom, it's just man's revolt against the sovereignty of God. <laughs> that's it. And that's always brilliant. Fleshly wisdom is everything apart from God. It is everything apart from Christ. And it is everything apart from Scripture. (laughs) That's good stuff there. And yet, what do we do? We chase it. Everything that man comes up with on his own, Paul says, is useless in this because my godly sincerity and my holiness is by the grace of God. Remember, um, take you back a few 
months ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Chapter 15, verse 10 says this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove in vain. Even though I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. That's a tremendous testimony. I am what I am. How's come? Well, he was raised. No. You are what you are by the grace of God. Paul says, whatever I am, it is what God's grace has produced. Listen, he's not perfect. You got to be real careful about this. He's not perfect. That's not what he's saying. He dealt with whatever sin did arise. Okay? You know what's amazing? And I see in the body of Christ today. When sin arises in a person, our first response is to blame somebody else for it. That's not a new phenomenon. It started back in Genesis 3. It's been going strong ever since. But that's what we do. My sin rises. It's your fault. No, it ain't. And the Apostle Paul understood that. See, Paul had a passion in him that what he did, he wanted to maintain clear accounts with God. And he did it based on the highest human court. His own conscience. That's tough. I'd keep you busy there, wouldn't it? Maybe not for you guys. It keeps me busy. No, not your conscience. My conscience. My conscience. Why? I try to keep a clear, clear account with God. When something raises up, I want to say, oops. But you know what I've learned? I can't blame anybody for it. You know, well, that person just made me angry. <laughs> no, they didn't. Well, you just don't understand. <laughs> okay. You know, have you ever heard this phrase? They just made me in a bad mood. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. You know what's amazing about this? When I read through this, it says here, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. At all the places, at all the times, he walked in holiness and godly sincerity. Because he was concerned about his conscience. That's how he conducted himself in the world. And then he makes this statement, and especially towards you. He says, you know what? I was there for 18 months with you guys. It will, you would think you would be aware of how I conducted myself if I was with you day in and day out for 18 months. When he says the word especially towards you, it literally means more abundantly towards you. 
I was worried more about my moral wrongdoing when I was with you. And you got to remember, where was he at? Corinth. If you were promiscuous, they used to say you were Corinthianizing. I mean, so you're not looking at a place that was like, I was in the New Jerusalem. Okay, and, and if, you, if you read any of the history of Corinth, it was an extraordinarily vile place. So it probably took him more work. And he's basically saying, anyone knows that how I, should, how I conducted myself, you should know. The Corinthians. There should be proof in all those months. And you think about all the letters. There was four letters the Apostle Paul knows that we know that he wrote. Okay, Not only that, he ran into people from the Corinthian congregation at different parts. He ran into some in Macedonia. He ran into some of them over in Asia Minor. He ran into them in Ephesus. Every time they seen him, he was still the same. You should have first-hand knowledge of this. And in that 18 months and in the time that I have been there and the time that I have not been there, there is nothing here to accuse me of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want, I, I want to show you, he's not perfect and he understood this. Chapter 4, verse 4 says, <clears throat> For I am conscious of nothing against myself. Okay, you got that? Yet, not by this acquitted. All right? But the one who examines me is the, the Lord. See, one of the things that I see that, I, that I'm... I hope that you guys will understand is that sin is such a part of our lives... Okay. Um, sin is such a part of our lives, and it's such a, of our makeup that we can sin, and it doesn't register. All right, it it doesn't say your conscience doesn't say, well, that was a sin. Because it will be to the quality of income input that you have from the word of God that you will have your dissertation right or wrong. But it is such a part of our, our DNA that you can sin and it doesn't register. It doesn't adhere to your brain, to your memory. It it can be an attitude and it passed through so fast, it doesn't find a place in your memory. If it doesn't find a place in my memory, then it provides nothing for my conscience to accuse. Does that make sense? Because it it is part of who you are, who we are. See, you can sin and still have a clear conscience. And that's what the Apostle Paul said in in chapter 4 or 1 Corinthians. You know what? I can have this, but my conscience is clear. But that doesn't mean that I'm acquitted. 
Okay? Not perfect. There are some things the conscience doesn't know. Listen, let's be realistic. We have grown in our theology. Correct? And there are things that I used to do that I was not that big a deal. And all of a sudden, my theology says, oh, wait, that is a big deal. You shouldn't do that. All right? And all of a sudden, you go like, oh, my. So there, there, there can be, my conscience can be ignorant. And then there's that that just flies through and you don't even think about it. It just goes, Phew. and it is just a part of who we are. We are to obey the laws of the governments that are around us. How's your conscience doing? Because I know that no Christian has ever been speeding. Right? Okay. See what I'm trying to get at? (laughs) Right? Right? You know, I I like motorcycles. And and I've got a little sticker that says, Loud pipes save lives. Okay? And if you've ever ridden a motorcycle in traffic, you know this. You know this very well. Okay? And it is really funny, especially in this day and age of cell phones, to be right there in the blind spot of somebody. And they got the thing going on with the thing stuck on their heads. And I always like it when they're talking and they're using their hands to talk. You ever seen them kind of people? (laughs) And we're driving. You're on four wheels and something that weighs a lot more than me on my two wheels. Okay? And you have loud pipes, so you get up on the blind stop, you pull the clutch in, and you throttle up hard, and you throttle down, and you watch them jump two lanes that way. (laughs) My conscience says I'm trying to save my life. (laughs) The other side of me says, that was kind of (laughs) cool. I should do this on a regular basis. It's... And sometimes it will become a game. (laughs) Watch this. See, our conscience as Paul's only reacts to what our mind knows. Okay. Paul says, I am conscious of nothing. See, Your mind, our minds, those of us who have labored in this body for a time, our minds are richly informed. But they're not perfect. Can know all sin. But understand this the conscience is not the ultimate. That's coming. God is the ultimate. The divine judge. And he knows all. Until then. Conscience is the high court. A little footnote. Aren't you thankful. That your conscience can't know everything. Okay. I mean, Maybe you're not thankful. I am. I am. Paul says, look, you can accuse me. You can accuse me of personal sin. 
But my conscience says otherwise. In the ministry, you will be accused. I guarantee it. But the key is this. What does your conscience say? I remember a battle that I had in this body of believers not a few years ago that I was accused. Okay? And I, I mean, completely blindsided me. I, it was out of a group that I didn't, didn't expect it from. And, and I remember my first response was, get on my knees and say, Lord, what does my conscience say? What does my conscience say? And I, I laid it down and said, you know what? I'm all right. And they did just like they did in the church in Corinth. They got together and they got them a little following and they all were leaving. <laughs> See ya. Okay. Why? My conscience is fine. And they said, well, you going to defend yourself? My conscience says there's nothing here. What defense do I need? You want me to get you some letters of recommendation? No, my conscience is fine. The Apostle Paul was accused everywhere he went. And yet Paul said, in the world and in the church, my conscience is fine. How do you do with that? Is your conscience okay in church, but doesn't do so well at home or on vacation? You know, see that now all of a sudden it gets kind of weird, doesn't it? That's what our conscience is for. It is the soul's warning system. Let's pray. Father, I just praise you for our conscience. Father, I praise you for your mercy and your grace, your patience and your tolerance of each of us. And that, Father, may we, may we walk in a manner that brings glory to you. And, Father, we beg you now, help us. Help us to walk in a manner that brings glory to you. Father, help us to keep a clear conscience as we serve. And Father, may our conscience, as our brother Paul shows us here, may our conscience be clear both in the world, Father, and among the saints. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your grace as we draw to you in all things. In Christ's name, amen.